Then Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, and be rejected by elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Let us pray. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do each week, to be here with us this morning. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Can we talk about Han Solo for a second? I feel like this is sort of a good cultural moment to talk about Han Solo. There's a new Han Solo standalone Star Wars prequel coming out this summer. Are you all aware of this? Solo, a Star Wars story. You should be aware because this is something we can all be praying about, um, especially for the star of this film, an actor named Alden Ehrenreich. It's hard to imagine a role with a smaller window of success, right? The young Han Solo. I mean, Harrison Ford is Han Solo. There's just no getting around it. It's an iconic performance amongst iconic performances. His face, his mannerisms, his sort of cocky, uh, sarcastic, but lovable attitude. I can just imagine people walking out of the theater en masse from this new movie and saying, well, that was okay, but that wasn't Han Solo. They're already saying that about the preview. So you can pray for Alden Ehrenreich. Another good reason to talk about Han Solo, there are many good reasons to always be in conversation about Han Solo, but another good reason is the sort of classic nature of his character arc, the story that he inhabits. At the beginning of Star Wars, he's only in it for himself, right? He's this sort of rogue, this selfish guy who shoots Greedo to get out of paying for a debt, and yes, Han shot first, for those who are curious. Uh, He agrees to take Luke and Obi-Wan to Alderaan, but only for the right price. And even once he gets to the Death Star, he's only convinced to help rescue Princess Leia because he's promised wealth beyond his imagining. He doesn't care at all about the rebellion. It's only at the end of the movie, after he leaves seemingly like a selfish coward, that he zips into the fight at the critical moment, saves Luke, and saves the day. It's sort of a classic story. You might say it's the classic story. Movies love stories like this because we all love stories like this because we want to be like this. The rogue who learns to have a heart of gold. We all want to be Han Solo. It's a redemptive arc, a improvement arc, a triumphant arc. Seemingly every Disney movie has this arc, right? A character is self-absorbed at the beginning and throughout the course of the story needs to learn to care for others. Pinocchio is like this. The Tramp from Lady and the Tramp. Cusco from The Emperor's New Groove. You know, I haven't heard of that one, have you? Snuck that one in there on you. Went to a deep cut. If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. The Emperor's New Groove. Check it out. But this is the arc that we're talking about. Right? From self-centered to giving. From bad to good. From uh, zero to hero. If you like rhymes. 
Speaking of zero to hero, anyone here seen uh, the incredible film Cool as Ice? No one? That's three services in a row. No one's seen Cool as Ice except for J.D. Coke over there. I know he has. Can you guess that it stars the 90s rap icon Vanilla Ice? I'm getting to the Bible, I swear. It's coming. Vanilla Ice in Cool as Ice plays this really cool guy. I know you're shocked to hear that. You can tell he's cool because his hair is all slicked and he's got notches carved into his eyebrow. Uh, He falls in love with a girl who already has a boyfriend. But that doesn't matter to Vanilla Ice, of course. Vanilla Ice pursues this girl despite the fact that she has a boyfriend and he has advice for her. And he says these immortal words. He says, baby, you got to drop that zero and get with the hero. I encourage you to use this in your real life. Drop that zero and get with the hero. This is the direction we like, the Han Solo arc, from zero to hero. It's the way we're all trying to go. But in the reading we have before us this morning from the Gospel of Mark, we come across a character who seems to be moving in the opposite direction. If most movie heroes, if most heroes of the stories we love go the way of Vanilla Ice, from zero to hero, the Apostle Peter seems to be going from hero to zero. In order to give us some perspective on this transition of Peter's, I want to read you the little section of Mark that comes just before the section that we read this morning, this section in which Jesus calls Peter Satan and talks to his disciples about carrying their crosses. So just before that, in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? You're very familiar with this story. They replied, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asks? Who do you say that I am? And Peter is the hero. You are the Messiah, he answers, the Christ, son of the living God. When Jesus, just before the story we read about this morning, asks the disciples about his identity. Who do you say that I am? Peter is the hero. He's got the right answer. You are the Messiah. And then Jesus tells Peter that he is the rock upon which Jesus' church will be built. He's rewarded, right? The hero gets his reward. And this isn't the first time, nor will it be the last, that Peter is the hero, right? When Jesus comes Walking on the water, it's Peter who has faith enough to get out of the boat and walk, just for a moment, on the water to Jesus. When Jesus, at the Last Supper, says that one of his disciples will betray him, it's Peter who says, it's not going to be me, absolutely not. Even if I have to die, I will never betray you. This is a heroic thing to say. I'll die for you. So it doesn't seem strange to us that Jesus chooses this hero. He chooses Peter to be the rock upon which his church will be founded. When you're looking for a rock, you choose the heroic character. In fact, it's actually during this 
name-changing ceremony that we get the story from today's reading. The story of Peter rebuking Jesus, and Jesus rebuking Peter back, and this discussion about disciples carrying their cross. This is all happening in the same conversation. So I want to read it to you from Matthew, who tells the full story. See, Mark, in our reading, leaves out the rock upon which the church will be built. Matthew puts it in there. He says in verse uh, 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This is after he said, properly identified. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And from that point on, Mark, in our reading, picks up. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. The elders, chief priests, the scribes, he must be killed and on the third day rise again. And Peter must have felt like he was on a roll here, right? He just got the answer right, you are the Christ, Son of the living God, he got his reward, he becomes the rock upon which the church will be built, and he wants to stay the hero. He wants to keep getting right answers. So when Jesus says this awful thing that he's going to have to suffer and die, Peter makes his heroic stand. Never, Lord, he says. This shall never happen to you. I will never let anyone kill you. But to Jesus, in this moment, Peter goes from hero to zero. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This is how fast Peter's transition from hero to zero happens. It's in a paragraph. In one breath, he gets the answer right. You are the Christ, son of the living God, and gets elevated to rock status, the foundation of Christ's church. He is the hero. But then in the very next breath, when Jesus starts to talk about what's going to happen to him, what has to happen to him, when he's describing this, Peter tries to continue to be the hero by claiming that he's going to save Jesus' life. He'll prevent Jesus' death, but he goes to zero real fast. Get behind me, Satan. So, in the space of five sentences, the same amount of time it takes Vanilla Ice to shave those notches in his eyebrow, Peter goes from the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church to the embodiment of Satan himself. How does Jesus explain this sudden transition? What is Jesus' teaching in the face of this huge slide, this fall from hero to zero? What does he have to say to Peter? What advice does Jesus have for his followers who are witnessing this? Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my follower. Let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. 
Peter's mistake, and this is a super counterintuitive thing to say, Peter's mistake is in trying to save Jesus' life. Jesus says, my life is going to the cross. Don't try to stop me. Peter's mistake is in trying to be the hero, to save the day, to keep Jesus off the cross. We make this same mistake too. We try every day to live lives that are good, lives that might keep Jesus off that cross, lives that would make Jesus proud. None of us would claim that we are perfect, but I believe that we think subconsciously down under everything that if we do well enough, maybe Jesus wouldn't have had to die for us. We'd like, like Peter, to keep Jesus from having to go to the cross if we could. Of course, it happened in the past, so our only recourse is to try to become people who wouldn't have needed something so intense, something so profound, something so bloody. Now, I know you'll say, no, I don't think like that. I'm grateful, I'm happy that Jesus died for me. And I'm with you. Of course we are. We're together on that. But stop and take a second. Wouldn't you rather if it was up to you? Wouldn't it be nice if the Son of God hadn't had to die for you? Wouldn't it alleviate some of the pressure if you could say, well, I'm one less person he had to suffer for. Or he at least had to suffer a little bit less for me. Or that guy really needs Jesus. Have you ever had that thought? So-and-so really needs Jesus. It's all part of this idea that we might be good enough to need Jesus to suffer a little less for us. Every day we try to do the honorable thing, the heroic thing. We try to save Jesus' life. We're like the people shouting at the screen in a scary movie, don't go in there! We, we say, don't pick Judas to be your disciple, that's not going to work out. At his trial, when Pilate questions you, give him the answers. You know what he needs to hear, defend yourself while he's carrying the cross. Don't walk up that hill, it's bad news in that direction. And finally we say, you have the power, command the legion of angels, come down from that cross, please. Not for me. We're with Peter. We would save Jesus' life. But it's to that desire that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus' disciples thought that being his followers meant protecting him, keeping him safe, saving his life. But Jesus, in some of his most profound words, says that if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life, want to be heroes, will lose it. Those who 
lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Listen, followers of Jesus go to the cross with him. I'm not telling you that's what you should do or what you ought to do. I'm not giving you a commandment. I'm just telling you what happens. Followers of Jesus go to the cross with him. We are on our way to the cross. And if we try to save him, if we try to avoid the cross, we lose ourselves. All too often we think that, quote, carrying our cross means something like picking ourselves up by our bootstraps or walking a hard road or soldiering on with a thorn in our flesh or making the best of a hard life, not giving in to temptation. We say things like, well, that's just my cross to bear. We forget all too easily that people who carry crosses end up on them. 100% of the time. This is the amazing thing about Christ's cross and the good news of the gospel for you and for me. When Jesus asks us to take up our crosses and follow him, our figurative deaths are traded for his real and physical death. His cross stands in for ours. Our separation from God is traded for his closeness to God. Our sin traded for his righteousness. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, knowing full well that not a single one of his disciples, not you or me, could bear that weight. Peter, the rock upon whom the church, this church is built, couldn't bear the weight. He denied his best friend, his savior, the one he called the Christ, son of the living God, denied even knowing him three times, only a few hours after making that heroic promise that he would die for Jesus. We're with Peter. We would save Jesus And are on that precipitous slide, that daily slide, from hero to zero. We wish to save Jesus' life. We would say, and do say, like Peter, Jesus, I would die for you. But we've got the direction wrong. We've got it exactly backward. We are the zeros. He is the hero. We must decrease and Christ must increase. When we cry out, Jesus, I will die for you. Jesus, knowing our weakness and our sin and our pain and our fear, says, no, you won't die for me. I will die for you instead. Amen.